got to say, it does feel good to be together, celebrating the good news of Jesus' victory over death. Uh, we came together as a church here on Friday night. We were um, shoulder to shoulder in here having a meal across the congregations. And we were remembering Christ's death for us. Uh, my daughter Hope, who's seven, she told me that yesterday is called Sad Saturday. And she says it's called Sad Saturday because Jesus is still dead. He's still in the, in the tomb. But today is Resurrection Sunday. And today is a day for our joy to abound. That no matter how we have come this afternoon, this we know, death has been defeated. So how on earth did this happen? How did this happen? Twelve peasant farmers and fishermen and tax collectors, how in the world did they do it? They multiplied twelve followers of Jesus to the point we are today where one in three people, about two and a half billion around the world, call themselves followers of Jesus. The answer is resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything. No other event in human history has changed the world like the resurrection of Christ. It's amazing to think that Jesus never wrote a book, and yet there are more books written about Jesus than any other figure in history. Jesus never composed a song, and yet there is more songs about Jesus than any other subject. Jesus never drew any pictures, did any sculpture, But more art has been made about Jesus Christ than any other subject in history. And how's this? Jesus never travelled more than 100 miles from where he was born. And yet today you can find followers of Jesus in every nook and every cranny of the planet. And the reason that the good news of Jesus spread is because it is such good news. It is such good news. Uh, Not like what some of the commenters at the bottom of articles in The Guardian and the Sydney Morning Herald say about Christianity. Christianity is good news. Do you know where the word gospel came from? People talk about sharing the gospel. The word gospel was used in the Roman Empire to spread the news that a new emperor had come to power in the capital Rome. And so because the new Lord would be ruling in Rome, the gospel was sent out to the entire empire. Well, after the resurrection of the one they called the king of the Jews, it was like a shaken up bottle of champagne. The cork is popped and the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he is now Lord, spread throughout the ancient world. The good news that he has defeated death and brought us into a life-giving relationship with God. And that gospel that there is a new king on the throne could not be contained. So what I want to talk about today is the promises of Easter in our lives. My daughter Hope, who's seven, the thing she was most looking forward to was her Easter eggs. There was always this frustration for kids. Because they get this chocolate that's so big. And then they unwrap it. And then they realise that the thing's hollow. And it's actually this thin little layer of chocolate. Well, I think sometimes that's like what so many people in this world put their hope in. Things that look great, but then end up being hollow. 
self-empowerment programs, latest spiritualities, get-rich-quick schemes. But while the world may be offering us empty promises, the promise of Easter is an empty tomb full of promise. So this Easter Sunday, go with me. Here are five reasons the promise of Easter is the hope of the world. First one, Easter means that we can be free and forgiven by Jesus' death. A friend of mine who did ministry in prison, he used to say to me that some of the inmates who were followers of Jesus were more free than the people he met outside of jail. How could that be? Well, he said it had to do with their lives being set free and forgiven by Jesus. Jesus said everyone who sins is a slave to sin. In other words, the thing that truly imprisons a person are the things that we do wrong, the things that diminish our lives and hurt ourselves and other people. I had a a friend at school whose dad had an entire second secret family living in another country in Asia. And then it all got revealed. And it was absolutely crushing, as you can imagine, for his family. And I remember sitting at Warrywood Beach with my friend and he was talking about what it had done to his family. And yet then he revealed to me that he was now dating two girls at once himself. And that's kind of how sin works. The very things that we hate, the very things that we know that end up hurting us become the very things that enslave us. But if we allow Jesus to be Lord of our lives, we can be free. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Galatians 5 says, it is for freedom that we have been set free. Romans 3 says, we have been justified freely by his grace, the redemption that came by Jesus. That's the promise of Easter. That the very things that enslave us, the very things that diminish our lives can be forgiven by Jesus and we can be set free. There's this beautiful exchange. Jesus, the one who lived a perfect life, endures the cross to win the forgiveness of sins for us. His sinless life, self-sacrificed for our sinful lives. A punishment that we deserve, taken on because of love by one who lived perfectly. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's the first promise of Easter. Secondly, Easter means Jesus defeated death, so we don't have to fear it. It must have been amazing. Can you imagine being those first disciples running to the tomb? They went to grieve, but instead what they found was a risen Messiah. They'd seen him betrayed, crucified and buried. It would have been crushing. And yet we are told death could not keep him down. Jesus had said earlier on, on the resurrection and the life, all who believe in me will live even though they die. And now it had come true. The one who had promised to rise from the dead was now alive. And if he could rise from the dead, then his promise to us is true. As Paul said, death has been swallowed up in victory. 
It's kind of interesting to me how in the Western world we do all that we can to avoid death. As a society, we've largely managed to remove it from being a part of our daily lives. We, we keep death at an arm's length. And I think that's what was part of what was so shocking in the last 12 months was reading about the death toll of the coronavirus around the world. Death is confronting. I remember one of the big local stories here in Manly a few years ago. In the Manly Daily, we read of some residents who opposed the building of a funeral parlour here in Manly. A quote from the Manly Daily. Manly residents say they're appalled over a proposal for a funeral home in their neighbourhood, arguing they do not want death and bereavement on their doorsteps. You know, we, we, we could have handled that where I live in freshwater, but in, in Manly, they're, they're a, bit, a bit fragile. We're in Fairlight here, it's okay. By two streets. Well, rather than avoid it, I would rather face death with confidence in Jesus' resurrection and the promise that he too will raise us to life with him. I heard of a son driving with his dad and he was terrified because a bee got into the car. The dad was ninja quick. He grabbed the bee, he pulled its stinger out and he then said, there's now no need to be afraid. The bee was still in the car, but the sting had gone. Well, similarly, we don't need to live with the fear of the sting of death. It is still something that we will all face. We will all die. But the sting of death is now gone. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, who was transformed from a persecutor and a hater of Christians into one of its main messengers after encountering the risen Jesus. He writes that because of Jesus' resurrection, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And when those first disciples encountered the risen Jesus, the sting of death disappeared. To such an extent that they would spend the next 30, 40, 50 years of their life facing death themselves, proclaiming the good news that he was alive. I sometimes thought it would be pretty stupid, wouldn't it, to go about enduring floggings and imprisonment and facing death themselves for a lie. But they'd seen the risen Jesus and their Lord was now alive. The third promise of Easter means that we get to have God's spirit come and live inside of us. I think one of the dangers of Christianity is that we get stuck on those first two promises of Easter. Now, that would, of course, still be marvellous. The forgiveness of sins, nothing to fear in death. But the danger is then that we just sit around with nothing else really changing. But that would only be half an Easter message. You see, the promise of Easter is also a power to be transformed. Listen to this verse, Romans 8.11. It says, The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. You'd spend the rest of your life trying to get your head around that verse. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you. In other words, that same power, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from dead is now alive in us. Powerless Christianity is like a yacht that has found itself with no wind blowing its sails. 
It's not going anywhere. But when the breath of God comes and breathes on you, like a mighty wind catching your sails, you receive power. And that's one of the promises of Easter. The same power that raised Jesus to life now lives in us, meaning we have power to live transformed lives. Lots of things can change a person's life. You know, I've been trying healthy eating, kind of, getting a bit of exercise, having good family and friends. But here is the secret. There is nothing like the Spirit of God coming alive within you to transform your life. In Galatians 5, it says, The fruit of the Spirit, God, God's Spirit, alive in you, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Sometimes people are worried, what will happen to me if I become a Christian? What changes are going to happen? You know, how will my life begin to look differently? And we can say to you that if you make that decision, you're going to grow in love. You're going to become more joyful, more peaceful. God's empowering presence will awaken patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. That's what your life will look like if the risen Lord is alive in you. Fourthly, Easter means God's love for us is unconditional. Not only do we get forgiven, not only do we have the hope of eternal life, but we are given a power to live transformed lives and we do it all secure as loved children of God. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. That's the message of Easter. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you enough to send his son who would lay down his life on a cross for you. And then you may wonder, how could God love us even though we continue to make mistakes? Made me think about my own children. The other day, I don't know what came over them. My, my kids, five and seven, were in the car. And it's almost like they got into a competition of like, who could be the worst behaved child in the world? Normally they're angels and saints, of course. But they were pinching each other and yelling and whinging. And I must admit, I wasn't happy. You know, one or two words may have been spoken. But it doesn't leave me to kind of stopping the car and kicking them out of the car. Or saying, you're no longer part of the family, find someone else. I mean, I came close, but I didn't do it. But they're my kids. I love them. They're the love of my lives. And it's not their performance that dictates our love for them. John 8, Jesus says, a slave. Remember, Jesus said, all who sin are slaves to sin. Jesus said, a slave has no permanent place in a family. But a son or a daughter belongs to it forever. In other words, once you trust your life to Jesus you become a child of God. And that means you are unconditionally loved no matter what you do. Now my hope, if you're visiting tonight, is that you'll join this church family, that you'll come regularly on a Sunday, that you'll make a community, and that this will become your spiritual home. But one thing that you will find is that this church is made up of people who aren't perfect. But their saviour is. 
And we still make mistakes. But every single one of us will be unconditionally loved by God the rest of our lives. In the one John, the writer says, God is love. God is love. That's his essence. That is who he is. And oh, what a difference it makes to your life, secured in the knowledge that God loves you unconditionally. So Easter tells us that Jesus was motivated by love to lay down his life for us and he will continue to love you all the days of your lives. All right, fifth and final thing tonight. Finally, Easter means that God has a greater purpose for our lives. One of the great theological minds, a guy called Tom Wright, he says this, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonise earth with the life of heaven. Come on, can I get an amen for that? Right? The point of Easter isn't that we're going to get sucked up and floating on some cloud playing a harp. The point of Easter is that it means that God is in the business of making all things new. God is in the business of turning death into resurrection. God is in the business of turning the broken into life. And so what that means is that you now get to participate in God's kingdom of bringing heaven down into earth. So not only is the promise of Easter that we are forgiven, that we have nothing to fear in death, that we have power to live a new life, that we are unconditionally loved, the promise of Easter is that you now can have a greater purpose in your life. We get to join God in bringing resurrection life into manly. The atheist Richard Dawkins, who wrote The God Delusion, he wrote this. He said, what are all of us but self-reproducing robots? We've been put together by our genes and what we do is roam the world looking for a way to sustain ourselves and ultimately to produce another robot child. And I guess if that's all we are, then there is no meaning. There is no great purpose to life. There is no story of a God who is on the move healing the brokenness of this creation. And the result of living in that kind of a universe, I think, is a pretty selfish and meaningless existence. And I think it's what leads so many who don't believe in God to end up in a nihilistic state where life becomes meaningless. But Christians want to say there is more. Christians want to say that we are not random. Christians want to say that this is not as good as it gets. And I truly believe that in light of Easter, we know that there is a God who is in the business of resurrection and making all things new. And so we get to participate in colonising earth with the life of heaven. Isn't that what Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? May your kingdom come and your will be done. So if you want to know what colonising earth with the life of heaven looks like, it looks like what Jesus did in bringing the kingdom of God down to earth. Healing the sick, showing compassion on the broken, speaking words of hope to the hopeless. And so we get invited into that project. And that's why I think through history it's been the children of God who primarily have started schools and orphanages and hospitals, knowing that life is not hopeless, history is not meaningless, we get to play our part in bringing the life of heaven into a broken world. 
Well, I lived in London. I became good friends with a girl at my church from Italy. And she was in the corporate world and her name was Floriza. She was recently awarded by the Italian government the Order of the Star of Italy. And I'm just so proud of, so proud of Floriza. And on that award is a depiction of the Good Samaritan. Over 15 years ago, she gave up her job in London and she moved to a refugee camp in Malawi. And she began working amongst some of the poorest people on earth. And she's still there today. In fact, she married one of the refugees, a guy called Innocent. And because of her faith, she set about starting educational and employment programs to help the people of the Zalika refugee camp. And it's been tough. It's been really, really tough. But she has seen so much hope get restored into what the world would call forgotten people. She has seen life after life transformed with the hope of the gospel and practical ways of seeing the life of heaven break in to this broken world. So why would you do this? What motivates Christians to start schools and orphanages and medical clinics? In fact, what motivates ordinary Christians to love their neighbours, to be salt and light, to speak words of hope and encouragement? Because Easter says life is not meaningless. It is not just destined for death and decay. As Christ has risen from the dead, so we who belong to him and we get to participate in that work of renewal that begins now. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Amen. You know, I'd love you to make a decision about Easter and who you follow tonight. Who do you follow? And what are the promises of your life? Hopefully it's not in things that are hollow like an Easter egg that turn out to be empty promises. But my prayer is that your hope is in the empty tomb that is full of promise. Jesus said on the resurrection and the life, all who believe in me, even though they die, will live. But you've got to believe. You've got to believe. You know, it doesn't hurt to have a moment in your life where you say, this is the moment I started to follow Jesus. Or if you've been hanging around church for too long, this is the time to make my commitment. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want the hopes of those promises of Easter at work in my life. The message of Easter is we can be forgiven. We can have the hope of eternal life. We can be transformed. We can live unconditionally loved. And it means our lives have purpose and meaning. So have you responded to the good news? You know that the champagne cork is off. All around the world, people are celebrating Easter because it's good news that you can't contain. But we are always asked to make a decision about Jesus. Is he your Lord?